This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Are you feeling stuck, unfulfilled, or even the slightest burned out? Well, I've got a special free online summit on how to extinguish your burnout by reigniting your purpose. Psychologist Melissa Wolf and 20 experts, including myself, are offering you 30-minute videos with our top strategies, methods, and tons of free gifts to help you better manage your stress and light your fire. The summit starts February 3rd, so make sure you sign up for this free training now. Just go to lightyourfiresummit.com. Self-awareness. This may be an undervalued resource, but for Ron Rapitalo, an executive search expert in K-12 education, a men's personal stylist, a fitness trainer, and self-proclaimed silliest person on earth, self-awareness may be an art form. His focus has led him to success and exceptional personal growth. Coming up, you'll hear tips for getting hired in senior leadership roles about bias and racism in hiring and why our actions and habits matter, the power of intuition when you're networking, how Ron has been discovering his own identity as an empath, and the way a recent intuitive purpose reading has tangibly impacted his life. Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast, I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Ron. Hi, Julie. (laughs) Thank you for being on the show. It's good to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to start with the serious stuff first. Okay. You are an expert in executive search. You work with nonprofits, all sorts of large organizations, small organizations. How do you how how did you first get started in this line of work? And why I guess I want to understand why it is that you're drawn to this work and what it is that people can learn if they're looking for a job. So let me give the history of how I got to doing executive search. So like many things in my life, it was a confluence of accident and being in the right place and being in the right place at the right time and knowing good people. Um, So like every good Asian, uh, I was destined to go to medical school, right? (laughs) (laughs) Was uh, a neuroscience major, pre-med at NYU. And it was the first big inflection point in my then young life when I turned 21 to not pursue medical school. And so I had to do a different couple of careers before I landed on working in the education sector. Um, The reason I worked in the education sector back in 2003 was the sense of wanting to give back to the legacy of my immigrant parents and why they came here and knowing that education was an equalizer in my life, especially public education in New York City. And so I worked at places like Teach for America and New Leaders and slowly but surely transitioned my career from being, you know, an operations nerd to someone who came more into 
my true personality, my true self, which is around my interpersonal skills and getting along with people and inspiring others. So in a lot of ways, getting into executive search was, I was always really good at telling a story, putting people through a series of steps, being really curious about people and asking good questions as it pertained to being aligned to finding evidence for whatever you're trying to find it for. But argue my neural science background came in handy for that just through the scientific method and being trained in that through God knows how many years. Um, so that's like the condensed history. I would say, you know, the what, why I do it comes from a deep sense of understanding how this country has fun functioned historically, systemic racism, systemic oppression, um, white supremacy, um, uh, structures and systems. And being in the nonprofit K-12 education space that I do this work in, understand there, there's a tagline that's often said in, in many organizations, right? We want our leaders to rep, be representative of the communities we serve. In the line of work that I'm in, that means it's disproportionately, we disproportionately serve low-income black and brown kids and families and communities. And so there's a thrust and obviously diversity, equity, inclusion is larger than just talking about being African-American, Latinx, Asian-American, Native American, et cetera. But I think a lot of the thrust of how people often talk about diversity in code is like, I want a black or a brown leader, Ron. Where can you find them? Right? Um, and so there is, I mean, in an oversimplified way, right? It's not the full equation, but when we have leaders who come from those communities and can really empathize what those communities have gone through, through their own lived experience, we can start to turnkey, I think, a lot of how these education organizations and nonprofits function, where a lot of times, this is also a statement that also comes out in the field, is that you know things are happening to communities, not with communities. And I think there's a difference in having folks who look like me, look like you, who are making those ultimate decisions to serve communities rather than telling them what needs to happen, right? And so that's why I do the work, right? Because I think in, in I'm one part of the equation to hopefully start to dismantle those systems of oppression and those systems of racism through what happens in education and nonprofits. Um, I think the, the, the messages that I would tell job candidates as they go through these processes, especially thinking through an executive search lens, is um, who you know gets you a leadership job. It's not always about skill set. Now you need to have a baseline talent level. But at the end of it all, and this is where I think I particularly get passionate about this work because disproportionately what I've seen across sectors is that we as people of color in this country do not network well because we're not taught that it's something we should do because there are competing messages that we're taught around, well, you've pulled yourself up by the bootstraps for so long. You are so much better and your talent should speak for itself. I often think of like the myth, like the model minority myth in the Asian American communities. Like I see this a lot with Asian Americans in particular is, well, they call this uh, concept the bamboo ceiling, right? You know, you have a lot of very talented in terms of higher education and, and, and higher degrees disproportionately amongst the Asian American community, right? But yet they're not proportionally represented in any sense of the imagination in senior leadership roles in any sector, right? And I would argue a big part of that aside from 
systemic racism and other things that like, you know, there's all kinds of subtle things about how people hire, right? It's like if you look like me and sound like me and have had a similar walk in terms of how you live, then I'm hiring you, right? Which disadvantages us, right? Mm -hmm. But all that said, right, we are taught not to play the game of building relationships deeply and two, having people advocate for us. Career-wise, I would argue all that work already happens professionally, uh, personally. I don't know a single person of color in this country who doesn't deeply care and isn't around people that take care of their own. Um, I like to call it, you know, in like, you know, um, this is like a Brooklyn term. It's like, it's all about the hookup. The hookup usually happens through a person going to take care of you. Oh, that person's a good barber. Oh, that person is a good personal trainer. When you start to go up the echelon of like income, right, which is often then you overlay that with race and class, right? Um, it's a good lawyer. It's a good accountant. Oh, do you know the CEO? Oh, wink, wink. I'll get you that internship. Don't worry about it. I'll hook you up, right? Hookup happens in different ways depending on your stratosphere, right? But I think the message I would tell people and this is something I personally want to dismantle because I think that this is, you know, um, if you want meritocracy, it shouldn't be about who you know. The fact of the matter is that some some of what I tell people is to play the game, to, to dismantle the system, you have to learn how to play the game a little bit. Then you could dismantle it, right? But you have to have people that are going to advocate for you that are champions for you. If they're not, it is exceedingly difficult to get a CEO job, an executive director job, a chief officer job. Why? I see it. That's my lived experience doing executive searches. The people that disproportionately hire to referrals either through the, the search firms like us, our networks, or certainly the, the people that are in those positions to hire or their network. It's who they know. And if you look at you know um, research on the racial leadership gap in the nonprofit sector, what do the white people know? Hmm. White people. I mean, it's just, this, this, this is just talking about things that we as people of color talk about all the time. And I think I have learned, thanks to you, Julie, in our purpose coaching together, is to elevate my voice and to no longer be silent about things I already talk about with people. I'm going to be on more podcasts. I'm going to write more books. I'm going to have my own personal one. I'm going to talk about these things more because all I'm doing is elevating what we already say. But saying in a way I think that combines my voice, a little bit of a... I don't know if this is this is serious stuff. Like, there's no humor in this stuff for me per se, right? Even though sometimes I use humor to get over the, the weight of the situation, right? Mm -hmm. But I think I have a unique voice to add to this space. Thank you. It's it's much needed. And it, I think it's an area that that unless you're in it and thinking about it all the time, it's not thought about. And it deserves attention and a realization that no matter whether it's a nonprofit or K through 12 education space or any job or career that we're looking for, there's going to be inherent biases, structures, you know, who, who mm -hmm. is doing the hiring and, yep. and what are they looking for? So th those are all things that I think the more we're aware of, the more we then know how to navigate it and the more we know what questions to ask or who to, uh, you know, who, who sh should we ask for, for the next yeah. coffee or the next informational yep. interview, all of that? Yeah. The thing that I want to jump on with the whole idea of awareness is that I've, I, you know, the more recent realization for me is awareness isn't enough. There are a lot of good meaning, well-intentioned people in life. 
they're aware of things that happen. People are aware that we have a homelessness issue throughout our country, right here in our backyard in New York or in L.A. or in any major urban city. People are aware of it. Very good point. Right. Yep. You know, what, 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 what drives urgency in our lives, I think, is something I've started to play with, right? You know, in, in, in doing my coaching with you, you know, in parallel, someone that I respect a ton. I'm going to give him, I mean, not like he needs any more free publicity, but James Clear, Atomic Habits is a godsend of a book. And if there's anything for me that I think helps someone to get better methodically, it's through good habits and having systems that support good habits, period. You want to be more altruistic? Well, what habits underlie that? What, what environment or what culture, what people do you surround yourself with to be more altruistic, to be more giving, to be more politically involved, to be anti-racist? Like what, whatever the, the fill in the blank is, right? If you think about like, I'm going to then do these things. It's not just as simple as say, I'm aware of it. I'm going to do these things like... We are all creatures of our environment ultimately, right? The whole idea that we have – like people have this amazing willpower is bullshit. I don't have it. I purport to have it, right? I mean I think I give off like Ron does all these things. I'm like, no, I just make sure that I'm mindful of like the spaces that I'm in and the life that I've created. Why do I work out so much, Julie? I work from home. I've created a lifestyle where the very first thing I do every morning after I drop off my daughter is work out. It's a habit. It's like breathing to me. Same with my meditation. What's the first thing I do when I wake up? I meditate. Why? It's become a habit. And it took a long, it took probably six months for me to get there with a morning meditation habit, right? And so I've been fortunate to partially luck into, but then shape the life that I want, right? And I think that's also a message I want to tell people is like we, what we see, what we, what we intend, we, we ultimately will manifest. And so what, what our five senses hear, feel, taste, see is what's in our brain, right? So if I want something different, what I perceive can ultimately in some magical way end up becoming a reality, right? And then working with you, like there's something beyond our five senses, like this deep intuition, this this, this spiritual sense, this governing sense that I, I still am grappling with, but I'm learning to let go and just feel, that, that does something even more magical aside from my five senses. It allows me to have difficult conversations with people, allows me to push people in ways that other people can't push them, allows me to have conversations with people in five minutes and go deep fast because it's in, it, it's intuitive sense. I don't even know how to describe it. And I, I don't try to anymore. I think I've learned that from you. It's like, I, I stop, just let it go. And then the labeling helps with me to get deeper, but I don't even label everything anymore. Or try to, because the labeling actually then becomes like cognitive rather than like spiritual, intuitive, and then I'm not as good at it, right? Mm. I just do. You touched on so many amazing things. Uh, one I want to circle back on is the notion of habit, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of people shy away from habit because they're like, oh, I have to do so much work for it, or it's it's so... It requires consistency and requires a motivation or a vision of what, like, why, why even try to create this habit before we then take those actions. So let's use um, maybe one of the, the anti, uh, what, were, what were some of the suggestions that you had? Like, if we wanted to create a world where 
we hired people who uh, not based on you know who who they know or a color of their skin let's say let's mm-hmm. say that what habits would I or someone else want to start or think about or create in order to then have that kind of world yeah um it's almost like you were in my brain, Julie, because I was giving a workshop on this literally yesterday <laughs> at the New York City Charter School Center. So, like, this is very present of mind, right? And so, um, you know, I think a couple of nuggets, right? One of it is, you know, if you want to start having a system where you're dealing less with meritocracy, right? And this is going to sound – this is going to be controversial for me to say because in, in, in the space of hiring across industry – the big nugget is like, how many referrals do you get? Referrals I've seen in, 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 the, in the space that I live in and most people live in, right? So who do you know? So who do you know who, who knows them? Like if you think about this in LinkedIn, it's like secondary connections, right? I would argue if you think about most people's networks, they're very insular. I honestly think I'm an exception. Even then, like I have a relatively insular network because I have certain labels that follow me, Teach for America, Stuyvesant, New Leaders. I have all these labels, Coro, blah, 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 right? Um. I've had to push myself to get outside of my networks. So I do things like I'm in a Shaper Connectors Club. I meet people in New York City that I might not ordinarily run into. Um, I send, this is going to sound psychotic, I probably sent since last December a message to every new connection on my LinkedIn. So it's probably like 2,000 people I've done it for. Because part of it for me is like, if I'm going to put money in my mouth is like, and I'm going to start expanding beyond just who I know or my network's network, you have to stretch yourself. You have to make it a forced habit, right? And think about like, well, what's what what what's the benefit of that, right? Is one, it then there is the belief that there are talented people outside of my network. I see it every day. I literally talk to talented people who I've never known all the time, right? Um, I think a second thing, because um, I know we may be short in this segment, is when you're going through a process, right, and you want it to be really based on meritocracy, is one, understanding what you're hiring for. So you have competencies, right? And a lot of organizations do this, right? But I think where the rubber hits the road is making sure that people call out the things that either positively or negatively influence them. Oh, I see Julie did Coro. Oh, that's going to positively influence me. Oh, you went to that? Oh, you work for EDC? Oh, I, I heard bad things. That's going to be right. I think the more people name these things up front and how it may skew them, I think the more that we put out and level the playing field. So you're really then looking what people are bringing to the table, right? Um, I think the third thing, right, I would say in a truly meritocratic process, right, is really thinking about how do you make sure, and I think a lot of industries are doing this, right, but I think it's hard to pull off, right, is how do you make sure you're hiring for the job that someone's doing rather than hiring based on what they did before? So there's a tendency for say, hey, Julie, you've done economic work. And look, that's a very technical skill, so this is not maybe the right example, but um, I want someone to do economic development work to have done economic development work before. Okay. When you think about jobs, like I think about what I do in recruitment, I would argue I can get anybody who's willing to learn to recruit well. There are certain baseline skills I think you need, strong interpersonal skills, um, the ability to want to storytell, um, the ability to plan well, right, and have a strategy by which you're doing it. But I've seen lawyers. I've seen 
I, I was working in finance at Morgan Stanley before I started recruiting and doing, you know, a selection work. I didn't go to school for, no one does. I don't know, a single person says, you know what? Um, when I go to college, I'm going to start being a recruiter. That's like zero people, right? <laughs> you know, and, and it makes me think it's such a fungible skill, right? It's the kind of skill that I think people often fall into because it's an available role. And I think it's the one role I've often seen across many industries where people fall into it from many different vantage points. Like not everyone's a good recruiter is extroverted like me, right? I've seen some amazing introverted recruiters, different styles, right? Um, and so I think, you know, leveling the playing field around what you're looking for and making sure you're hiring for things that are what they can do versus what they previously did, there's a nuance there, right? I think we get stuck in jobs like, well, I'm going to hire someone for a principal job, but I'm going to only hire people who've been principals before. I'm like, um, but Why? Some of us just asking that innocuous question of like, well, why is that a requirement? And oftentimes you'd be surprised. A lot of a lot of us, a lot of hiring men, they haven't thought about it. Because the easy way out is to say, well, I've just had success hiring people that have come through Coro. What's Coro a proxy for then? What does that mean? And Coro is a leadership right. civic uh, right. of civic leaders. Right. Leadership program for civic leaders in New York City. You know. You think of any fill in the blank, like, oh, yeah, someone worked at Google. What was what that a proxy for? Someone, it's All of these things are often said, like, oh, they went to an Ivy League school. What's that a proxy for? Does that mean, what does that mean in terms of their talent? I've seen a lot of Ivy League graduates be dunderheads. Let me squat. I think some of it is, you know, it's pushing ourselves to say that that label, that proxy, what does that really mean? And then when you start to unwind it, it doesn't really mean much of anything. And it allows us to really honor someone's full humanity and authenticity when they apply for a role. That's all it is. But you have to fight hard for it because our brains are wired to make quick decisions and to fill in blanks. <laughs> we have to fight against our own instincts at times. That's really interesting to, to keep in mind because it's true. It's definitely true. And sometimes if, if we are fortunate to have those types of networks, we take advantage of it and leverage it. And yet there's this, uh, I like when you say to think outside of the network because that's it then pushes us outside, or at least pushes me outside my comfort zone. I, I honestly have not thought of it in that way before. Yeah. And, and that's a really good, uh, at least, you know, my vision is... There is someone who's talented, who has all these um, skills, who's who's deep that we would have meaningful conversations with, but they don't exist in my circle. And yeah. it it is something that I want to generate more of, more of those types of connections. So I think first is the intention of even knowing that that exists, and then and then developing the the habits, as you say, to go go seek. Go seek and you shall find. It's around us every day. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Coming up, you'll hear how your intuition can help make networking opportunities more productive. In particular, that awkward moment when you want to engage in a group conversation already in progress. 
you have a story or a comment you'd like to share, I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Voted the best program on the planet, Funny People Talking, with Mark and Danielle. Of course, there were only two votes. Connect with the show at funnypeopletalking.com. And please, for the love of all that is holy, subscribe to the show and leave us a damn review and a really, really good rating on iTunes. Pretty please? Thank you. Ron, you had talked about networking. And that's always a term that strikes fear in a lot of people I would think because it's it's like oh it's something I should do or I have to do in order to get ahead whatever ahead means and and I'm sure there are ways to do it authentically in a way that actually creates connections not just you know can I have your business card right what would you recommend to people like how what are, what are some of the things that they should think about in terms of their their energy, their presence, not, and not just some of the the, the tips that you would typically yeah. give. Yeah, I, here too. You know, I, I like what you said about intention, right? As a way to start, I often think you know the the language I would use is like, what values are you bringing into whatever interaction you're having, right? Be curious, be giving when you're networking, and I would even throw the term networking out. It's, it's relationship building. That's all it is. So I'll give you examples that I think have worked for me, right? Um, so I, this happens a lot, right? This is, it almost becomes like a, a skill that's on autopilot for me. So I'll give you an example. I was at a networking event, and one of my strategies to meet people where I might not know anybody or maybe just one person is to strike up conversation at the sign-in table with the person behind me because inevitably – we're getting name tags. Sometimes I'm like, oh, let me grab your name tag. Oh, oh, hi, Summer. I'm Ron. That starts a combo, right? Somehow a combo doesn't happen then, right? Inevitably networking events, right? There's usually a bar. Strike a conversation with someone at the bar. Or what do you think of getting the drink? This is all like the innocuous small talk stuff, which I know some people hate, right? So, but I found... In order for you to get deep, like, I can't start talking to you like, well, tell me about your kids. You'd be like, what? I don't know you from something like, why am I going to talk to you about my child? Like, what? <laughs> like, you, you know, you have to think about, like, building a relationship with someone is like peeling an onion. If you peel the onion too fast, unless you're holding your nose, right, you're going to cry because it's going to get into your eyes and you're going to get shocked, right? So, you know, you, you start off with, like, softball questions to warm someone up, right? Um. But that's where the curiosity comes in, right? Sometimes, you know, some people hate the small talk of like weather, but that's an easy one. It's like, oh, it's really freezing. Oh, my God. Or how far is your commute to get here? Oh, you came from Park Slope? Oh, okay. And then the conversation starts turning into, I've often found when you're doing really good relationship building or networking, all you're doing is listening really well and finding things you can hook onto to ask more about. You're unpeeling the onion. Oh, you do podcasts for English language learners in Korea. Oh, so, well, tell me, how did you get into that? 
I keep talking. I keep right? talking. Yep. And then fast forward, like I literally talked to Summer. Funny enough, like we got recorded for a podcast at the YouTube studios, but the audio and the, the video was thrown off. So she has to re-record me, which is a bummer. But it was a really fun experience, right? Because she asked me about this very question. She said, she said to me after talking to her for about 20 minutes, she said, you network so well. How do you do what you do? And I laughed. It was almost like you were in my head. <laughs> like, see, Ron, you're living your purpose. <laughs> then I'm boom, boom. Um, and then I started literally deconstruct like the way you asked me, like how to. Ne- I started then sharing with her nuggets of it, and then it turned into, you should speak on my podcast. I didn't even have to ask Julie. Hmm. Perfect. She's- you know, and so you know, for me, like the values of being curious and being giving. Like for me, the being giving was sitting back and letting her uncover her story. And then the being giving also tangibly was sharing advice on like networking and like how to help her, someone who had just come from Korea six years ago, figure out how to navigate a room of people. I, I, I then started giving her like body language grouping advice. One of the oh, things I read. Always, in, that's always a tough one. So what, what advice do you have there? So I'm going to give my layman's version. I'm, this is an imperfect way because there's actually a really good book I read about this like eight years ago. The way I would describe it is this is the nerdy mathematical geometric person in me. So if there are two people talking. You have to see if the way that they're, they're, they're talking to each other allows you to complete a shape. So if they're 180 degrees, if there's a line, you're not creating another shape out of that right? Because there's no angle to their conversation, right? So if two people are talking, their bodies are angled at about a 45 degree angle away from each other, you can come into that combo. Like the way that you and I are seated, someone can come from the direction on top, um, um, uh, equidistant from us and start a combo with us because our body language is showing openness to, the, to someone coming in and joining the group. If we're facing each other, I'm going to angle my body. If I'm like this, no. That is not a combo you usually want to come into unless you know one of the people well. And even then I would say like sometimes you just want to wait, right? Because, you know, you, you don't want to throw off people's conversations, right? So some of it is just being aware of body language. It's like creating a shape. So if you see two people, can you create a triangle? If you see three people, can you, tra- can you create a rectangle or a square? If you see four people, can you create a pentagon? So on and so forth, right? Some of it is just being aware of like, can I come into a convo because I'm seeing people's bodies open enough where I can come in and close the shape? That's all it is. What's the best way for that person who's completing the shape to actually enter that conversation? Because there's there's yeah, there's yeah. the awkward thing that I do, which is just being very quiet, listening, you know. Yep, I think... Not sure where to enter the conversation. So this is where you and I are going to vibe on this. It's, <laughs> it's, it's gut feel. So sometimes I might just jump right in. I'm like, I'll hear something in the convo and I'll just, I'll just jump on it. Oh, that was really fun. I'm like, really? Right. Um, or I might sit and wait for a couple minutes. I just will sometimes listen. Right, because inevitably, what happens with combos? Like some people are bouncing around these networking combos. There's someone else they want to talk to. They want to go to the bathroom. They want to go to the bar. They want to talk to someone else they really wanted to talk to. So inevitably, like if you have a set of like two or three people, sometimes someone walks off, and you can have a closer combo. Especially if you're not the type of person who wants to talk to twenty people. And like for me, 
as extroverted as I am, I would rather have three 20-minute combos than 23-minute combos in an hour. I appreciate depth more. So I don't go around trying to talk to everybody. You know, 25-year-old Ronald used to come out with 50 business cards. No value. I don't remember shit about those people. But I will tell you, like, because my brain thinks like this, I remember a lot of things about Summer in my combo with her. Because I literally talked to her for 45 minutes. And my brain works like that. That's why I'm good at recruitment. Like, I remember people details like I do anything. Like, I don't know. I just, it sticks in my head. Um, but I think, it, you know, for someone who may not have as much intuitive feel, I would probably advise being conservative and waiting for an opportunity to jump in the combo. And sometimes you, you have to feel it out. Like I've literally, I'm like minutes before I will jump in. Right. Sometimes another easy strategy is to say your name. Oh, hi, I'm Julie. And you introduce yourself. Oh, I see y'all were talking about that. And you see if you have some like, and even if you have anything to add to it, you could just be curious and ask good questions. Like I want to learn, like, I don't know a lot about climate change, which would scare me like. Doesn't know about climate change. Sorry, judgment. Um, <laughs> That's labeling. Right yeah, it there. is. It's bad, Ronald. We all judge. It's part of who we are. It's just you know. Um, but you can ask questions like, even if it's something that's very far afield from like what you do day to day, you're interested in. It's like, well, how did you get interested in that? Now they may be re saying what they may have told the other person, but it gives a person an opportunity to like build with you. And maybe that other person, like, oh, you know what, Ron, I'll be right back. I got to go talk to someone else. And you build with that person. Right? It, I, I, you know, for me, I, I, I like to demystify networking events. You don't have to talk to 10 people at once. That's just not, that's not most people. I would say I'm probably an exception to that because I'm that person who's in life tended to hold court. Like if I'm in a group, I have seen that people start to come in and out and then I'm the center of the conversation. And I'll facilitate and I'll guide. Because I like doing it, right? It's fun to be able to like bring someone else in and like include them in the combo. Oh, hey, Barbara, thanks for coming over. Um, Have you met all these folks? And I'll, hopefully I remember, go name by name. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Oh, it's Jackie. Oh yeah, Jackie um works at a, you know, a coaching company where she works on X. Like you get those details, like people will eat that stuff up. Why? Because you were listening. When you listen to people, when you're relationship building, you're networking, you're valuing someone. You, you value someone. They Worlds feel good. Open up. Worlds open up. They feel good. They remember you. Anyway, you had mentioned you use your intuition when you are kind of feeling out how to enter conversations, maybe how to read a room. Right. How else do you use your intuition when it comes to um, – comes to networking, but also just in general, like it, in relation to your work. And I know for a fact that you feel emotion, that you're more, maybe more empathic than others. And other people have other intuitive yeah. uh, gifts as well, whether or not yeah. they've strengthened it uh, to that point. So how right. can you explain that for people? Oh, boy. You know, this is always an odd con. I, I've struggled this with you when we've done our purpose coaching, right? Is to be able to use five senses labels to describe my intuition. It's hard. I'm going to try because I think I've started to get better at this, right? Is whew, I'm going to give it with an example. 
was I think that will be helpful, or two examples at least. Well, let me give one because I know we're a little short in this segment, is I was leading interviews with a client, right? And I noticed the energy in a room around a particular candidate, right? It was really noticeable to me, I think from a five senses lane, but from an intuitive lane, I could literally feel my motion, like the energy in the room was like stale. I was like, oh, I know they're not going to like this candidate. I just knew. Other candidates, like the emotion, my, my, my gut starts to tingle. Like there's what he got, this, this, this gentleman got hired eventually as the executive director for this organization. He had that room on fire. He had them laughing. He had them engaged. He told his personal story. He had two people cry on the selection committee because of how incredible his life story was. I almost cried. and like, I'm really good at keeping a poker face. I was like, mom, fight those tears, fight those tears. It was, you know, so for me, it's like, you know, when I'm in those settings, right, it's being able to see the unseen. And then when we actually talk about it with five senses to then bring these things up, I noticed the energy in the room. I saw people with crossed arms. I saw people looking away. Why was that? Or I noticed with this gentleman, like, wow, folks were really invigorated. What other evidence did we see? I know we were all inspired by him, but let's make sure that there are other things about what he said aligned to that, right? Because you also want to be careful on the flip side of like the charismatic leader is that they have the content that backs that up, right? Anybody reads Jim Collins, good to great, right? It's often the folks who aren't the charismatic leader who are some of the best leaders on the planet, right? And I say this as someone who's charismatic, right? I have learned, like, I better back up my charisma with content. Mm. Those people ain't going to follow you after a while, right? And I've known people like that. I know folks who, like, they talk the good game. And because my intuition's really strong, like, I feel out people who talk the good game who I, I can almost feel like I'm seeing into them. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of insecurity and other things there that you're not willing to talk about. Now, I don't say that to people, but I'm good at uncovering it. But it's just being curious and asking good questions and having people trust you. That's where my intuition often leads me, right, is to govern my emotional state and my body language and the way I'm looking at someone and my tone to get someone to tell me things they may not tell other people. That's where intuition leads me is to be able to do that, right? And then people go, oh, I was crossing my arms. Like, yeah, um, all of you were actually, right? I just named these things because it's, it's, it's almost like – my my brain computes these things really fast. I can look around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, energy. How are they looking? And how, what's there? So that's how intuition also often helps me is to be able to have corroborate data points I'm already seeing. I like how you you use it not to have a, a yes or no judgment, but to open up space for you to ask questions and it may be based yeah. on you know oh you know it seems like this person is a little insecure i wonder why let's see if we can dig a little deeper and and that's probably good for career coaching too just to help people understand more about themselves comes in handy comes in handy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah it's thank you for sharing that because it's it's a, I think everyone uses intuition differently. Yeah. And 
especially given the different lines of work that people do. And mm-hmm. it's helpful to see how it can apply and how you can then take it to the next step of yeah. of what I like calling bridging the intuitive and the rational minds. Yeah. Because the intuition can help you get to a certain point and then your rational mind can come in and, and start asking those questions that yeah. maybe you wouldn't have thought about before. You know, every once in a while, I've had this happen a couple occasions. People have asked me to use my intuition on the spot. Like, how did you know I was feeling X? I've named it. Like, I, you know, at, at one of my fitness, the, one of the places where I, I, I take classes and teach group fitness classes, I had a friend and a student who takes my classes and she wasn't feeling so well for any, for, for no particular reason that I knew of, right? And then I could just tell that she was sad. I just knew. And she's like, oh, like I I was talking to her. I think it literally came when I was starting to think about doing purpose coaching with you. She's like, oh, what do you think I'm feeling, Ron? I was like, don't put me on the spot. You may not want to know what I feel. And I was like, you're sad. She's like, oh my God, how'd you know? I'm like, you want me to deconstruct that? (laughs) Well, and I had some data points, right? I was able to sort of on the fly be like, well, you told me these two things and I was led to believe that she's like, yeah, I'm dealing with a difficult breakup of a boyfriend. And they just started, became like a mini therapy session. She's like, I don't know how you do what you do, but like you have to, you have a gift. I'm like, thank you. I know. And I'm trying to feel it out. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> like you, like I, it's, it's way too common for me to, I probably can come up with 500 examples. Like that's a daily occurrence for me to like intuit someone's feelings before they're aware that someone else knows it. Well, keep it up because <laughs> yeah. that's that is it I think it helps open open up more conversation and create deeper connections. Coming up, you'll hear what an elephant has to do with Ron's purpose and about the power of silliness. Interested in getting your own intuitive reading? Are you wondering how you can align more with your purpose? I offer introductory sessions to my Discover Your Purpose readings and coaching. As part of the All Possibilities community, you get 10% off the intro session. You get a one-on-one phone call with me where I'll do an assessment of your life and give you an intuitive reading on the highest guidance for you at this time. You'll get actionable steps that you can get started on to create the life you want. Just use All Possibilities 2018 as the promo code. That's All Possibilities 2018. Visit beingmypurpose.com for more information on my services. Back in September of last year, I did a purpose reading for you and coaching sessions to kind of help you express it and discover it in your life. And I want to share a little bit from the reading. Okay. In part so that you can hear it again. I think there's there's a, it's a nice experience to go through uh, when you've already kind of done some work around it. And, and also so that people can hear what your purpose is. So it says, I love this one. It says, Ronald's purpose is to be the elephant. (laughs) 
You saw an elephant writing with a crayon with his trunk. He felt happy, lighthearted, despite his imposing form. And he was committed to sharing his silliness just as much as his knowledge and wisdom. To be the elephant is to be the sage, but not just the sage that can be viewed as serious and a bit intimidating. It is to be the elephant that is approachable, despite his size and unfamiliarity. To be the elephant that feels connected, all caps, and loving, all caps. With a spark of mirth and humor that is quiet and gentle. What this means is that when he is his best self, he is able to impart wisdom with an understated sense of lightness, mm. a sense of being that doesn't hit somebody over the head with in front of you humor, but with a sense that, and this is in quotes, hey, life is about having fun, right? Let's make this into something we can laugh about. But not a loud cackling laugh like in stand-up comedy, but in a quiet, reflective laugh that comes with hindsight, appreciation, and gratitude. Hmm. So it continues on, uh, and at, for five or six pages, it covers many different elements. But I want to hear you kind of look back on it and see how, how this purpose reading and the coaching that we did together, how has that impacted you in different areas of your life? We've already heard... Yeah. A little bit about it in your professional world, but yeah. how how does it impact you? Um, so if I fast forward to like towards the end of the purpose reading around me convening elements of up at different levels of a rotating spiraling staircase and convening together at the top in an arc. Um, when we unpacked what that meant, meant me likely doing much more group things, whether content or workshops. So since then, I'm, I, I've landed two workshops. I did a workshop yesterday at the New York City Charter School Center on disrupting bias to recruit and retain educators of color, right? Um, and I'm doing another workshop in Dallas at the Teach for America School Leaders of Color Conference to talk about um, how to network to get your best job. Funny enough, you asked me questions about networking. And so, and... After posting that I did this workshop in New York yesterday, a friend of mine who works in DC's office, um, in a, in a, in the DC government office, um, for the state, for, for District of Columbia, not the District of Columbia, the city, asked, is thinking about bringing me down there for June to do the same workshop or a similar workshop, right? Because the field often talks about in K 12 education, like we need more like educators of color. It's just like everyone, Talks about the same damn problem. No one knows how to solve it, right? Um, so I have found that that intent of what's come in the purpose reading has started to manifest. Like my favorite mantra, what you intend, you manifest. Like all that stuff being put down has started to come about. Someone approached me, although we've been playing um, scheduling tag because for whatever reason, it doesn't show up in his calendar, which is a little annoying. But I have someone who approached me who seems to be connected to someone that I follow, this guy, Dave Kirpin, who talks about likability, um, has approached me about the potential of writing a book. Nice. So, I mean, I haven't talked with him, so I don't know yeah. how strong this lead is, but we've talked about that. Right. Right. 
Um, I'm developing my personal website now. I'm talking with my graphic designer tonight. It should be hopefully launching this week, if not early next week, right? And so there's a lot that's come in the purpose reading that's tangibly turned into things that are just happening now. Now, on a mindset level, which I think is the more interesting, right? Because, you know, those things are fleeting, like personal website. Like, those things are great. Those are out. I would argue it's always good to see outcomes of my mindset. Now, the mindset work is what fascinates me. It's why you and I vibe, right? And so I would say the purpose reading has helped me just be a lot more aware and in tune of my energy and how I approach people. That balance of, like, you know, being the elephant in the room while not being the elephant in the room, like there's a lot of layered meaning to that, right? Because I have an energy and I've seen it before I understood all this language and these labels and things, right? Like I could dominate combos. I'm really talkative. I have big energy, right? I've learned that when I dial it down, that that, that that energy could be used to facilitate and bring people together. Like I'm really good at it when I'm purposeful about it, right? And so there's a, there's a balance, right? Where I think, if I get overexcited, I dominate. If I dial it down, I do some pretty incredible things, right? So some of it's learning the discipline of like dialing my energy down and being okay that this this identity that I've had that I've always need to be high energy isn't really my ideal energy. Like it come, there, there's a purpose for me being high energy. Don't get me wrong, right? There's There's good that comes out of it, but all the time, it's overwhelming to me even, right? And so um, I think I've just learned a lot about how I tick and how to be aware of my inner awareness, which is like, I think is a really hard skill to have, right? So I'm literally at times when I'm talking with people in my head about what I'm feeling at the same time as I'm talking to someone. So it's like I'm able to juggle a couple balls, like my own emotional attunement how that's coming off to someone and listening what someone's saying, how that's coming back to me. Like I literally can, when I stay here rather than when I'm at the right emotional energetic temperament, I can do those things like in my sleep. It's just coming to it. So things like being more mindful of my, my, my meditation practice, being more mindful of my yoga practice, being more mindful of how I walk, being more mindful when I take the train and the people around me, being more mindful of like seeing colors in people. Oh, I'm seeing colors. Stop, Ron. Uh, <laughs> it's happening. Stop. Um, they're just things like there's, there's such a, there's an amazing yoga mantra that I, so I, I took my hot yoga class today and it's my favorite yoga mantra of let go. You and I were talking about this. When I let go of like, I have to turn on my intuition button. There's no intuition button, Julie. It's just there. But when I feel it, I feel it. When I don't, I don't. And it's okay. There's no kind of like, I think I've learned to be more okay with that through working with you, right? Um, and the other stuff, I think it's just going to be a manifestation of like, you know, um, what value and impact can I have in the world to have more people get more in tune with their greater self? That's that's all I really care about, right? Because I think the impact that that ends up becoming when we become more aware of the way this world really works and to use an analogy for one of my favorite movies, it's like being in the Matrix. Once you understand how the Matrix runs, you don't want to go back in it. Once I started to learn 
and understand the way that our country's been built. As much as I've benefited from it as a citizen and the great things I've personally benefited, the system is not built for all to benefit. It is not, right? And I think the more I've become aware of that through policies, laws, and systems and the way that they push down on people um, and disproportionately people of color and low-income people, the more that I want to solve that, right? And so for me, like having this awareness of self has allowed me to have more awareness of my environment. I would argue you cannot be aware of all the stuff that's happening around if you don't have deep deep self-awareness. If there was one skill I would have taught compulsory in all education, was to build deeper self-awareness, period. And it doesn't have to come through meditation. There's probably 5,000 ways to have people do yoga. It doesn't have to come through one way. Some people do it through doing art. You don't have to call it meditation. Some people get in that flow, that drawing. It's like, well, that's, that's being meditative. You're doing something you love. You just start to feel light. I think we all experience certain things when we were like in that flow and you're like being really deeply within yourself. My, my palms burn. I feel lighter. My head feels lighter. I feel tingly. Like right now I feel tingly talking about this, right? Like I so I know when like I'm in flow because I just literally like it's almost like I forget when I'm that I'm here. It's a weird feeling. And I and so I just I just go with it. And then when it goes, it goes. It's okay, right? But when it's here, it's just like I've learned that that kind of energy, I think, then allows me to live my purpose because people become magnetically attracted to me. So this is going to be a weird statement to make for people who want tangible tools to network. I don't have to network hard because people are attracted to me. <laughs> but people are attracted to me because I, you know, I, I continue to do the deeper inner work that a lot of people to come to me. So the key to networking is then, if you go a step before that, it's the self awareness. It's, it's. I, I see it as having a state of being where it is true to yourself yeah, and people will be attracted to you. Whether it's, you know, I do this with when I'm networking, usually it's the person in the room who's probably the most quiet, who's not, you know, mm-hmm. fluttering around in, in a very social way, but it's, I, for some reason I tune into that one person and then we have a 45 minute conversation. Right. And it leads to all sorts of projects or opportunities. So it's knowing, knowing yourself, knowing your environment. Mm -hmm. And, and that's all fantastic. I know we are very short on time, but there's one more thing I want to mention, which is this notion of your silliness. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that it hasn't, it hasn't come through um, in as much as it could come through, because we, we talked about a lot of serious things. But <laughs> yeah. how how did you, with this reading, then view your your humor, kind of comparing Ron now and and Ron maybe in the past? That I'm at my funniest when I'm not trying to be funny. So this whole idea of silliness is more like a state of mind. It's just like me observing what's around me and just being able, like I've always, like, I think something without the purpose coaching that I reflect on, I've always been better at being funny when it's situational. 
Like, I don't do stand-up comedy well. I actually have a – in college, I, I tried doing a stand-up comedy bit at a um, at a club event, and it bombed. Bombed. Probably because I didn't prepare well, but that's another story, right? But I found – you know, the whole idea of silliness is just being able, this is going to almost feel like Jerry Seinfeldian, right? Making observations of things and uh, seeing that a lot of the things that we think and do are kind of ludicrous. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, what's something silly or ludicrous that I see people do? God. It was something today. I saw, you know, I was in, in hot power yoga. Like, I thought it was like silly. It was like, I, I don't think from this gentleman's standpoint, it was silly, but like, we're in hot yoga. It's hard. The room's 94 degrees. We're going through poses and we're sweating, like literally buckets. This man's grunting half the time. Like, for me, he's just like, why are you grunting that hard, man? Like, part of me wanted to say, he was like, you would hear this. We'd be in like warrior. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> like everyone notices but no one's laughing and me is just like that's crazy like in a room like that that's kind of the culture right but it, in me it's like part of me wanted to say oh my god are you okay <laughs> because there's something like i know it's hard but it's hard for everyone else and my emotional kind of sense was this is a subtle way for someone to call out attention that, hey, this is really hard for me and I have to let you all know that. So I'm going to breathe really hard. Right? That's what I intuited when I was on the mat. Did I say anything about it? No, because it wasn't my place. I didn't really care that much. It was like, hey, random guy I've seen here a couple of times. Like, you know, you breathe and grunt really hard. Like, why do you do that? Are you aware of that? <laughs> and why? You know, but I often find things like that are often really kind of silly because it's like, Because I've done things like that before. That's what I realized. Like, you know, and oftentimes I think a lot of us do things like that because it calls attention. Like, look at me. Rawr, I'm lifting 300 pounds. Like, do I have to grunt that hard? Like, yes, you're exerting effort, but do you have to go nuts and do it? Not as much as you think you need to, right? And so some of it for me is like, silliness just has to do with like observing the the the, the ludicrous things we often do to call attention to ourselves, Right? That I do to call attention to myself. Because I do a lot of it myself. It's almost like these ticks of like, I have to be funny. I can't be serious all the time, right? Um, but they, I think on a second level, it has to do with, I think, this notion of if we took ourselves less seriously, it would mean that we can really reexamine who we are and the fact that who we are changes all the time. These idea of that we've put all these labels on ourselves. Like for me, silliness has to do with like being light, being like, I'm not going to be as attached to who I think I am in this moment. Yeah, I have all these great things that I've done, but like, so fucking what? So what? So what? Right? And I think for me, like that's how it pushes me, I think, to constantly learn. I've learned to like not take myself as seriously as I could. I know a lot of people, once they reach a certain level, they do things, right? It's like, oh my God, like, they want to hold on to it. I'm like, but it's not yours. Any of the stuff, like, this pot, any of the stuff, it's not mine. My network, it's not mine. None of it. All my, it's not mine. None of it's mine. I'm a vessel of creation, just like we all are. And so for me, selling this comes from, like, wanting to share, like, 
it's okay. Like, this is funny. Like, our life, we get to live it. We get to breathe. We get to experience. This is joyful stuff. Even as we go through difficult things. I tend to have a little bit of gallows humor on things, right? When I see certain things, like, I've... I laugh about things that are really morbid at times, right? Because it just helps out the levity situation. Like, you can't always cry about everything. Even though I do enjoy a good cry. I cry as much as, like, anyone else does, right? But silliness is grounding. Silliness opens up people to understand that things aren't as heavy as they are. That that's a perception. So I'm, like, the opposite. I think a lot of people I tend to interact with are, like, it's gonna end and we gotta like but it's not <laughs> not yet <laughs> I mean if you watch the you know the temperature of the of the oceans yes the world <laughs> we gotta really we gotta pay attention to that right <laughs> but um, it's not ending yet it's not but that also means we have the ability to create and repurpose what direction we're going in that's where I get my joy and silliness from. That every day, like, wow, there is something better we can do every day for ourselves, for humanity. Well, thank you so much for for sharing that, for for being on this journey of of yeah. self awareness and and also embracing your intuitive gifts too. And I think yeah. everyone has an intuitive gift. It's and it comes in different ways. Mm-hmm. And the more we can be open about it and talk to others about it, learn about it, yeah. cultivate it, the more, as you said, we can the more we can do more for the planet, for ourselves, and and the world may look a lot better. We may not have to say it's gonna end. Although I'm ready to go to Mars. You're ready to go. <laughs> You're like jump ship. Let's just go. <laughs> but Mars won't be as fun as Earth. I don't think. Who am I? I don't know. So, Ron, how can people get in touch with you or learn more about your work? So, as I mentioned, Julie, I'm launching my personal website. Um, it is not fully launched yet. There's a teaser on it about like coming soon and my, you know, clicking on it to email me, but it's just ronrapitalo.com. Probably the one easiest way to get me. Otherwise, I'm obviously on Facebook, Ron Rapitalo. I'm the only one. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Ron Rapitalo, very easy to find me there. Um, and on Instagram, although I don't know if we have time to describe why I have this nickname because it's a kind of dorky joke, but it's Phenomeron. So instead of Phenomenon, Phenomeron, get it? Got it. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, my Instagram is Phenomeron. Those are the three big channels that I use. People want to hit me up via social media. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ron, for being you, for for doing the, the the hard work in terms of your own cultivation of your intuition and also everything that you're doing in executive search because that is that is much needed and that is something that I look forward to hearing more about from you. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me. And for you, hmm, I'd say take some of the networking tips. Uh, Don't call it networking, but when you're out meeting new people, uh, if there's a relationship that you can cultivate or strengthen, use some of what Ron had recommended and, and also see how you can use your intuition as part of that. Just practice using it. 
All right, well, I'm Julie Chan, and until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.